What up, Disciple Makers? This is Dave Stovall, and you've clicked on the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. We have got a very thought-provoking conversation today between Matt Dabbs and Josh Howard. Josh is the founder of Ignite and also a part of E3 Partners, and he shares his experiences with us today as a missionary in South Asia and talks about a thing called crazy farming, which I can't wait to dive in and figure out what that is. He highlights the importance of prayer and fasting and outlines practical steps for intentional evangelism and discipleship. Josh makes comparisons between South Asian and American cultures and the application of discipleship strategies in both of those contexts. Let's get some encouragement from Josh and Matt today and be equipped with helpful resources for your own evangelism journey. Here we go. Well, welcome to the show. This is Matt Dabbs of discipleship.org, and I have the tremendous privilege of being with Josh Howard. Uh, He is the founder of Ignite, been doing that for 10 years, and it's also with E3 uh, Partners and Ministry, and it's really uh, been looking forward to this conversation because I've, I've heard some of the story and, and what's gone on, and you know we're, we're doing tr- uh, small heart, uh, church planning, house church planning and discipling here locally, and so really inspired by what God's done with Josh and his ministry, and we're going to talk a little bit about American culture and South Asian culture and some of the differences, and then talk specifically about intentional, um, being intentional in evangelism and uh, kind of up in the bar a little bit on that, what we can glean from your experience, Josh. So uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Matt. It's an honor to be here, man. And I'm super excited about what you all are doing as well. It's it's uh, always inspiring to see what D.org is doing across the world. Man, well, thank you. That's certainly mutual. Well, tell us a little bit about the culture that you've experienced uh, where you are in South Asia, and then let's maybe do a little bit of it. We kind of rushed you contrasting because that's really interesting. Maybe there's also some things that are similar. We're like, praise God for that. You know, we don't always do that. So, so fill us in a little bit on culture. Yeah. Uh, Do you just mean specifically the South Asian culture? Do you mean the, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, South Asian culture is, is very communal in nature. Relationships are very tight knit. And so, and, and they're, and they're usually a lot broader. So in the U S we tend to be pretty isolated and independent in nature. You know, South Asian culture is very much, you know, joint families, large family units continuing to live together. I mean, I'm talking parents and kids and their spouses and their grandkids all living in one home or sets of homes together. Um, that's the way the villages are in South Asia as well. A lot of times those villages, they just continue to grow and expand as the families grow and expand. And so things tend to be a lot more communal, which uh, for the sake of the gospel is actually super, super good because it's able to travel a lot quicker through relational dynamics that are already in play, right? It's also a, a pretty large a patriarchal society, which means that sometimes in the more traditional settings of South Asia, when a leader of a family or a leader of a village makes a decision, uh, there's a lot of people in that family or that village that follow suit as well. Um, so, and that could be for better or for worse. Um, but for the sake of the gospel, if a leader makes a decision, there's many times that many family members or people in the village would also make a decision similar. And so that that definitely helps with the spread of the gospel. Um, but honestly, within kingdom culture in South Asia, some of the major differences, brother, that I've seen, man, when I moved to South Asia originally, bro, 
I had no idea what I was doing, man. Like I, I thought I was a Christian. You're the perfect say that. candidate. You're the perfect <laughs> candidate for God to use because you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, and it grew. And it's like, <laughs> right, well, right. you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I, I thought I knew how to follow Jesus until I met the South Asian believers and watched how they follow Jesus, and I thought I loved Jesus until I saw their love for Jesus, um, and so, and and just the. The kingdom culture, man, within movements of multiplication are radically different from what I ever saw in the West, you know? And so, I mean, they're, they've got such a radical culture of prayer and fasting, for example. I mean, these guys and gals pray and fast more than, I mean, I've ever seen anyone pray and fast. The, the way that they're so natural in spreading the gospel, I mean, they're, I've got so many South Asian believers that are such good friends of mine that I mean, regularly, it's not a matter of when have they shared the gospel last. It's who did they share the gospel with today? You know, it's not like, you know, I can't remember the last time I talked about Jesus. It's like, no, I've done it like 20 times today. And so there's just a, I, I think part of it too, Matt, is when in, in South Asia, especially in some of the nations that we're working in, when somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus they know that they're risking potentially their lives, but definitely their reputation. They're risking the potential of getting kicked out of their family, kicked out of their village, you know, a, a lot of different persecution elements that can come when somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus. And I think one of the biggest pieces of that culture is the fact that when they make a decision, man, they are on a 100% sure that Jesus is who they want to give the rest of their life for. And it could be literally risking their own life in order to give their life for Jesus and, and to Jesus. Question about that? Yeah, please. Yeah. So like as an American, I hear that. And I'm like, okay, I don't have to worry about losing my job necessarily, really. Most people, if I become a Christian, yeah. I mean, there's actually laws against that. Anti-discriminatory laws, right? That you can't be discriminated, you know, race, religion, X, Y, right. Z. So I'm like, okay, as an American, I hear that. And I'm thinking... Risk of loss, risk of death, all this exploding in numbers. Yep. Okay. Like as an American, you're like, that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because here, here that wouldn't, you would just, people would be like, I, I'm not doing, I mean, it's, I guess that's the power of the gospel. And maybe I'm, maybe my, I'm looking at, I mean, it's, it's a real filter. America's a real filter. It's a real, it's a real thing. Yeah. But can you help us understand like, what is it for them in their mindset that allows them to take that? I mean, it's strong conviction. Certainly it's called faith and allegiance, all those yeah. words, right? But like, yeah, what is that? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you hit it on the, I know it's more of a Sunday school answer, but Jesus is just that good. And he's just that much better than every other God that they have offered to them. What and every then? other well, answer. See, that's a great, well, every other God offered to them, yeah. but. So thank you for saying that because we don't have exactly that here, but we do. It's just a secular yeah. God and all that. Right. But what convinces them? Yeah. When you're, when you're so talking, like, what is that? Yeah. I mean, there's multiple things. So, um, and it, it depends on the religious background, right? Like, so the conviction or the change in, for example, a Muslim's mind or a Hindu mind or a Buddhist mind may be different because good news is different for everybody. I mean, what's good news to us mm. as Americans is different than the good news that maybe you'd offer to a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist. You know what I mean? And so, so let me give one example. Like uh, some of the nations that we work in are Hindu, you know, Hindu nations, right? And so when you're offering good news to a Hindu, let me share with you just like 
briefly what the most amazing news in the world is, okay? So number one, most Hindus in their faith do not have a concept of sin. They talk about karma. And karma is good and bad. You can do good things to produce good karma, and you can do bad things to produce bad karma, okay? Now, the issue is that most Hindus in their faith and in their, in their practice, there is no way to forgive bad karma, okay? Hmm. So when you do a bunch of bad and you have consequences to that in your life, there's no way to really get your slate wiped clean. And here's the really bad news for Hindus is that it's not just this life's karma. It's every life you've ever lived because they believe in reincarnation. So every life, if you've lived hundreds or thousands of lives, you have all that good and bad karma stacked up against you. And what people know logically in their mind is, just like you and me know, man, it doesn't matter how much good I do in my life. I've got a whole lot more bad karma than I do good, good karma. <laughs> like I've done a lot more bad things total throughout my life than I've done great things to earn some good karma. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so they know that. And here's the best news, man. The best news is, is that the good news of Jesus is that he erases all bad karma. Like that's what he did on the cross. Jesus on the cross literally, okay, like took our bad karma upon himself and gives us all of his good karma. Jesus, you know, throughout throughout everything is it is literally the only person that's ever lived throughout history that only has perfect karma. That's it. And so on the cross, there's that great exchange that took place where all of his good karma comes upon us and he takes every ounce of our bad karma. And for the Hindu, I don't need to argue about is this our only life or if we have hundreds of lives. For the gospel, it doesn't really matter. Let's say they believe there's hundreds of lives. Great news. Jesus takes all of it. Every bad karma you've got, he takes it upon himself. Not only that, but they believe in this uh, cycle of rebirth, right? And so Jesus not only takes away bad karma, he breaks the cycle of rebirth. Not only is he taking away all bad karma, but he's literally saying, you will be born again into your last life right now. You don't have to be worried about what you come back as next life. You will go to be in heaven with God forever now. You don't have to be born again and again millions of times, right? Mm, yeah. And so so anyway, that news, brother, is incredibly captivating. That's number one. Number two is that in all of these cultures, brother, I know it's hard to, to think about and comprehend, but in Muslim nations and Hindu nations and Buddhist nations, God is moving in radical ways. It's just like the book of Acts, man. They are encountering Jesus Muslims are having visions of Jesus. They're having dreams of Jesus, the man in white. Hindus are encountering the power of God by getting miraculously healed and set free and delivered from all sorts of demonic stuff. Buddhists are having in, in, in similar encounters to that. So not only is the verbal news great news, they are also encountering the power of Jesus that is so much greater than any other spiritual power they've ever encountered in their life. And so those two things, man, when they encounter Jesus, they encounter his love, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness, and the power that he has, there's nothing like it. Wow. And so they're drastically convinced that, man, I don't want to give my life to anything else wow. other than this. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That was amazing. That we, I pulled that yeah. one out and make a video of what you just said, because that was wonderful. So it got me thinking about a couple of things when you said that, if I could just reflect a second. So I was thinking about as an American Christian and about how I'm not so sure that 
I wonder what percentage of American Christians think the good news is actually really good. Like, what makes the good news for an American Christian? And even yeah. some of the things that used to make it good news, we don't even say anymore. It's like right. penal substitutionary atonement. Oh, this really like mean, angry father God and the patriarchy of it all. And, yeah. you know, all those things. It's like, you can't, not you can't, but like, we've moved away from certain things that made the good news seem really good. And then yep. at some point, what are you left with? And on from, in the American Christian perspective, that would really convince American Christian to be like, the news you have of Jesus is really good. Yes, you've had it for 19 generations in your family, but it's still really amazing and good and life all like, yeah. we just somehow just kind of have phased out of understanding just the profound goodness of Jesus, you know, like, and that's 100%. I was reflecting on, and I was like reflecting on American culture and like, as you were explaining the other side of, you know, Hinduism, it's like, you were talking about the profound need and how the message meets that profound need and you contextualize it so beautifully. And it's like, what would that look like here? You know? Yeah. Yeah. What would that look like for a secular person to encounter Jesus through that? What's that message where it takes that truth and like intersects secular yeah. culture, you know? Yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. And that's part of the issue, brother. I feel like for a long time we were, I would, these are going to be broad strokes here, but for Absolutely. a long time, in churches all over America, we were preaching good news in a way where people understood how good it really was. And then I feel like there were some major cultural shifts that happened in the U.S. where some churches took the shift and they began to present the good news in a way that would continue to be culturally relevant. And some of us continue to preach good news to people that was no longer really good news. Not saying that Jesus alone is good news, but how we present that and talk about that and explain that is super important. And contextualizing that so they understand that he is the answer to their needs. And sometimes we're answering questions that no one is asking. Sometimes we're presenting good news where to meet needs that no, that people no longer have anymore. They don't realize that they have anymore. And so it's super important for us to begin to pray and really process and think through in a Western context and in, in the current way that things are going in the United States. Well, what is good news? You know, like what do people need so desperately right now? I mean, we are, I mean, our attention spans are like zero. My goodness. I remember back in the day I'd watch long form content and now it's YouTube shorts and it's like 30 <laughs> seconds and I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, oh, I, know. I mean, whoever's watching this, if you made oh, it this far, good way to go. <laughs> That's, I mean, 30 seconds and it's over. You know what I mean? And so what is good news in an anxiety, depressed, anxious culture. You know what I mean? And yeah, isolated. And, and so we've got to begin to pray and process that as an American church and say, how are we really injecting Jesus into the areas of people's lives that they so desperately need? One really lethal combination to the sharing of our faith in America is that if I back up one step, you were, to me, when you were explaining the culture overseas in South Asia, I was hearing Acts 16. I was hearing Lydia at the place of prayer. I was hearing the Philippian jailer going home to his family, bringing that message. They're all getting on board. House church is born and Philippian church yeah. is born. I was hearing that. And then I was you know, thinking about in America, we don't have that. We're all individuals 
the mother and the father and the kids and the fathers and the mothers are like, you kids figure out your own faith and yep. you don't have to just because we did it and all that stuff. We, we have that. And so we have individualism. We have isolation. So even for me and, and distrust. So even yep. for me to get in the door with my neighbor takes a lot of work. It could be years. And, and we have expediency. Yeah. So I want something as an American Christian that works really fast, that produces amazing fruit, that gets my name in front of people because he did all this, and it's, yeah. but it's going to take years with my neighbor and it might not work. Yeah. And that's very not American. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, I mean, we, we want, we want the fruit of farming without actually plowing and seeding and yeah. waiting for the harvest. That's what yeah. we want. Yeah. We want the seed to go in the ground right now and get corn tomorrow. Yeah. Like that's what we want, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't, now I will say though this, although there are people like who you're talking about, for example, your neighbor, whether that's the real neighbor or not, but our neighbor, right? Like there are people that it will take years for. Here's another problem that we find in the West a lot is that, yes, there are people it will take years for. But the Luke 10-2 promise is still true in America, just like it is in South Asia, that the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. The problem is never the harvest. The problem is we don't have enough workers. Amen. Yeah, and right. so we, back in the 70s and 80s, we were a very evangelism-heavy American church. Uh, personal evangelism was massive. Over the last 20 or 30 years, Personal evangelism has almost gone out the window. And so sometimes it's not that we're not ready to do the long haul with our neighbors. Sometimes it's also we're not even willing to have the initial conversation with the neighbor because there are neighbors. It will take years. There's other neighbors that, man, if they just heard a clear presentation of the gospel today, they'd say yes, because the harvest is ready. And that's what Jesus yeah. promises. And so we just have to find the ripe harvest. Now, there are people that they need the seed planted right now, and that the harvest won't be ready for a few years. But there are people now that God's already planted a seed a few years ago, man, and they are ripe, getting ready to fall off the tree. I have a buddy that says that's the one of the best principles and the best news for somebody who's ready to share the gospel is this. Ripe fruit doesn't need to be yanked off the tree. Ripe fruit falls off in your hand. And so, I mean, there are so many people out there right now, Matt, in America, that if they heard a clear presentation of the gospel, and it wasn't weird, and it wasn't you're going to hell and all this stuff, but it was a very simple, clear presentation, there are people that would fall off right now in your hand if you just took the step and were bold enough to say, hey, man, I've got to share something with mm -hmm. you that changed my life. Ooh. Thank you for saying that, because I feel like what I was saying previously uh, I feel like that's a really good corrective or counterbalance to what I was saying. I think reflecting back on what the point I was trying to make, I didn't make very well. I think that thinking that in America that my neighbor's already made up his mind and it's taken right. him years to make up his mind. And for me to help him change his mind is going to take years. And you're absolutely yeah. right. That's a total cop out, you know, to act in that kind of, or to not act because we make those excuses. That has more to do with me than it does my neighbor. And and there will be neighbors like that, though. Like it's, sure, that it is a real yes. situation. Yes. There will be people that it takes years to make a decision, 100%. But there's a bunch out there, man, that they literally right now would say yes if they had somebody to, to mm -hmm. actually share the gospel with them. And this is why I'm yeah. such a big fan of prayer walking. 
of going out, asking God to bring people out, asking God to line us with the right people, asking God to open hearts, bringing our kids along, engaging them, like the whole thing. It just, you see it, you see exactly what you're talking about, but you're never going to get on the couch. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And I mean, the, and prayer walking, man, our, our people do it all the time. And it is amazing that when you're out intentionally looking for people that are open to God and you're praying for that, man, when our prayers and our actions meet God's heartbeat, bro, I mean, there's like, he's going to do the heavy lifting in those moments. I mean, I can't tell you, man, how many times we've either been out personally on a prayer walk or our friends and our coworkers, and they didn't even approach somebody. Somebody approached them to talk like, and they, that doesn't happen when they're just out on a regular walk, but when they're out praying for somebody, they come out. I mean, I remember I was in Savannah, Georgia, and a buddy of mine had never been on a prayer walk. And he said, could we plan one? And I said, yeah. So we planned it with four or five people, show up on a, I think it was a Wednesday morning. No one else showed up, just my buddy who asked me to plan it. And I'm like, all right, well, he's like, should we cancel? I said, no, we got to go, man. So we go out. Dude, we are not out of the car. I'm not kidding. Okay. We are not out of the car 30 seconds. And I had said this little prayer, God, lead us to people that are open to you. We were in a trailer park. Lady walks out of her trailer and yells out at us to come over. I mean, 30 seconds into the prayer walk. Okay. And we talked to this lady for an hour and a half, talked to her about the gospel, talked to her about her spiritual journey. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then she invited my friend and his wife to come back later and spend time with them. I mean, it was, you you can't make that stuff up, man. Like, it's just like God, God is looking for people to go after his harvest fields. He's, he's looking for us. It does not take a Bible degree to do what you just said. There's so many great stories. Like we prayer walked a, a capital in Africa and we prayed over a, a specific government building that had offices of various government officials in it. We prayed for the people in there to change to the right people because there were certain things going on. And then they did. And it, it's, we got back and what? my buddy who Prayers my, got answered. My buddy who's from there texting me. He's like, you won't believe what happened. You know, we prayed that in front of that building and they disappointed a new minister of such and such. He's my friend. That's crazy. Like, wow, that's amazing, God. Or like we I prayer drove once because it was so hot here in Alabama. I prayer drove this new neighborhood. We we're just gonna meet in a new neighborhood. I just drove and prayed over the homes. The next Sunday, this lady walks in and she's like, I heard the worship the last few weeks from my back porch. And I came over. I'm like, what house are you in? That one over there, I'm like, I prayed for you to come yesterday. That's crazy, like, man. No way. I'm like, I just, I mean, like, come on. Yeah. You know, and there's so That's many so awesome. the stories. This is God's just so good. Yeah. He is, man. Kids, our kids see it because my 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 youngest, we we're out prayer walking and we always have like four or five people. And he was like, Dad, wouldn't it be cool if we had 12 people like Jesus? And I was like, that'd be awesome, buddy. Yeah. I mean, that that'd be great. I'm like, not going to happen. And, and we're walking our neighborhood and, the, and we have church members in the neighborhood and they all started just walking in for the prayer walk. And I look around, we got 12 and I'm like, oh, and then he looks at me. He's little, he looks at me. He's like, you see it, dad? I'm like, yeah, I do see that. <laughs> I'm like, thank That's you awesome. God for building the faith of a child, you know, but you, you no gotta kidding. get off the couch. You just gotta go engage. It's, and you can yeah. see, I'd be simple, you know, I'm, I'm not yeah. trying to teach here or preach, but. But no, absolutely, bro. Yeah, I had a, so good. I had a friend of mine that was, uh, um, he was teaching prayer walking to his, it was like a group of high school and college students, right? He had a guy that was really interested in it, but he was a little iffy on kind of how to do it. And if it, he was just nervous, right? 
So he's sitting him down. They're literally in the church lobby, okay? And he's sitting down talking about how we just need to pray that God would bring people to us, right? Like as we're prayer walking. And so they said kind of a model prayer, like this is what we would pray, okay? Like a minute after they prayed that, they're sitting in the church lobby, okay? Some random guy walked through the front doors of the church, okay? And the guy was like, hey, can I help you with something? He's like, hey, I'm, I was out here. I just drove by this church and I've been really having a ton of questions and God's been really dealing with my heart. And he was like an alcoholic and all this stuff. Literally just walks in after they pray a prayer as if they're not even out prayer walking yet. And a guy just, and it was honestly, my friend said, it was just to show this young guy that it works, that God wow. will bring people that are open and hungry to the feet of Jesus if we join him in that work, you know? That's amazing. And so it's just crazy stuff, man. So this really brings up, we're talking to like strategy in a sense. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, overseeding and some of the things that you all did to be intentional in evangelism? Yeah. So it goes back to a point that we were talking about a few minutes ago with, you know, sometimes the problem is not that Sometimes the problem is not that there isn't harvest ready. Sometimes the problem is we're not willing to throw any seeds, right? Mm-hmm. We're not willing to actually open our mouth and share the gospel. And so it's, a, it's really a farming principle at the end of the day. And we talk about this all the time within our movement. Your harvest, like in farming, your harvest is always in direct relation to the amount of seed that you sow. And so if you plant a little 10 by 10 plot of corn in your backyard, that's how much corn you're going to get. And if you plant a hundred acres or a thousand acres, that's how much corn you're going to get. And so the issue a lot of times that we found in the West that our guys kill it at here in South Asia is that we just don't really throw any seed in the West very often. We don't really go out in the harvest intentionally looking for people that are far from God. And so when we don't throw seeds and we're not going out there to try to collect any harvest, we're not going to find any, you know? And so here in India, I mean, we, our guys are throwing seed all the time. We use the illustration a lot of the sower, right? The, how, how he's throwing seed and some falls on good soil and some falls on bad soil. I've heard so many preachers talk about that and nine times out of 10, man, they say something like this. In that culture, that's how they threw seed and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, there has not been a farmer in the history of the world that literally only 25% of his seed is going on good soil. That is, re- that is a horrible farmer, bro. That is a horrible farmer. But when we know who the farmer is biblically, it's Jesus. He's, it's not that he's a bad farmer. It's that he's a crazy farmer because he wants as many people to come to him as possible. So, dude, he's throwing it on the road. He's throwing it on the on the path. He's throwing it everywhere because, man, you don't know people's hearts, bro. You don't know who's good soil and bad soil. Would you have picked the Gadarene demoniac to be on your church planning team, man, the crazy naked guy? No, you would have picked that guy. Jesus did because Jesus knew this guy's heart. We don't. We can't see their heart, right? And so Jesus heals this dude, and he goes to preach to 10 cities. Would you pick the Samaritan woman, the woman with five husbands, and she's living with a guy that's not her husband? No, man. You want to pick her? She's the one that leads the whole village to Jesus. That woman, right? Yeah. We, dude, we don't know people's hearts. And so it's a crazy farming principle. It's about overseeding. It's about throwing as many seeds as possible, knowing that there's people out there that will accept that is good soil. We just have to find them. And we can't pre-filter. We can't, like, I can't look at you and say, that's the guy that's going to respond to the gospel. 
I've had people, man, that I thought, absolutely, that person is ready and they're going to accept and they don't. And then I've had people that I'm like, that guy will never accept Jesus. And the first time you talk to him, he's like, man, this is exactly what I need. I'm in. Mm. Like, man, I, you don't know. And mm. you don't know until you throw some seeds. And so, bro, we've got to be crazy farmers, man. We've got to throw seed everywhere we go. And we need to be more intentional about just throwing it out there and seeing what God does. We talk a lot, Matt, in the movement world about controllables and uncontrollables. The business world calls them leading and lag indicators. And a lot of times we track the uncontrollable in the church. How many people have said yes to Jesus? That's not up to me, man. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But what I can control is how many people that I share the gospel with. That's all up to me. How many times did I open my mouth and talk about Jesus? How many times did I throw seed? Was I a crazy farmer or was I keeping all the seeds in my pocket, right? Like, am I throwing the seeds or not? And here's the crazy part. I know people don't, it might blow their mind, but here's, the more you share the gospel, the more people say yes. It's crazy. Yeah, I know, right? Shocking. It's shocking. But it's, they're directly correlated. And so I have church pastors sometimes in America that are like, well, Josh, why isn't our church growing? And you guys are seeing in South Asia, all this crazy growth. I'm like, how many seeds are you throwing, man? How many seeds are your people throwing? And the truth is nine times out of 10, man, a lot of these churches, they're just throwing seeds from a pulpit on Sunday morning. And they're not throwing seeds at Starbucks, at Walmart, at, you know, at their kids' baseball game, at the kids' basketball game. And so they're not seeing fruit because no seeds are being planted. And so we've got to throw lots of seeds and we're going to see a harvest, man. Jesus longs to do this. And so we've got to, got to oversee the city, bro. We have so professionalized the gospel and I'm like a paid preacher. You know, I mean, I've been in ministry 20 years and paid ministry is wonderful. There's zero criticism, but one of the challenges in paid ministry is come up with something clever that people have been in church for six years have never thought of before every week. It's now I'm scouring the commentaries. I'm looking for the craziest story or whatever illustration. It's like, you just got to. I wonder if I can twist this Greek word to make it mean this. Yeah, so there's there a go. really cool illustration. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> James Barr had a book on that called Semantics of Biblical Interpretation. And he just tore Kittle apart, you know, the theological dictionary of the New Testament. And those little word studies, were, yeah. it just drives me crazy. But anyway, uh, you know, we so professionalized that it's like, it, it takes a lot to share the gospel. People think like you must, because they, what if they're going to ask this? What are they going to ask that? I'm not going to know. It's like, like you just said, you're trying to do God's part for him when you think like that. Don't try to do God's part for him. You just do your part. You don't worry about God can send somebody with the answer to what's going on in Genesis 6 with the giants and all this stuff. Like, don't worry about that. Just give him Jesus, you know? And I love what Curtis Sargent does with, with testimony and gospel presentation and like pairing it yeah. up and then like 30 seconds, yeah. like, like you think, how would I say it 30 seconds? And you say it and they're like, well, that was confusing. And then you're like, let me try yeah. again. And like, yeah, that was better. And then you, kind of get a clear presentation and then like, okay, how do I share my testimony? Like life in trouble, you know, life, finding Jesus and solutions, like better life. And like some of these simple, it's just simple. It's gotta be simple. It's gotta be doable for like everybody. And then like launch out and go and just see what God does. But until we do that, we're just going to couch sit and say, well, they do it on Sunday. And the guy who has all the answers tells us it the right way. Right. hundred percent. Die. Yeah. 
Right. And we say all the time, Matt, with the testimony and like we say your story and God's story, right? There we go. And yep. so we say that your story opens hearts, God's story changes hearts. Mm. So your story opens their heart. They, it gets them open to say, wow. And we usually end our testimony with, if God can do that in my life, I know he can do it in yours. Um, and so my story will open somebody's heart to what God could do in their life. And then God's story comes in and transforms and the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms. And so a hundred percent, man, if somebody's watching right now and you've not learned how to share a quick version of your testimony or a quick version of the gospel in a simple way, there's so many tools out there, Matt, that they could, you know, that they could go to. We use the three circles a lot in America which is an incredible gospel tool that's super simple. What I love about that is you're actually drawing it usually on a napkin and you're shoulder to shoulder. It's a lot less intimidating than face to face because mm. you're they're basically looking over your shoulder as you're drawing a little diagram on a piece of paper. But anyway, there, there are so many tools out there, like you said, with Curtis Sargent, who's an incredible friend and mentor. He, It's funny how I met Curtis originally. We don't need to get into that for that podcast, but he actually, I met him here in South Asia, which was crazy. We ended up in the same place at the same time. And anyway, but, but yeah, he's got some incredible tools out there as well on this stuff. And you can look up three circles on YouTube. You know, I was, I ran, I was meeting Curtis where somebody just said, come to this meeting. You just need to be at this training. And I was like, okay, I trust you. And so I showed up and my biggest problem was how do I multiply house churches? And he, he was like, we're going to talk about multiplying house church. This, that's like, this is what I've been praying about. Are you kidding? That's so cool. It's so cool. Thank you, God. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. Doesn't always work great, that man. way, but at yeah. the right time for the right things and his will, it, it works perfect every time, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So, so is there anything practical that y'all do that, or like application wise that might be helpful for people to hear? Yeah. I mean, we've already hit on a lot of them. I mean, prayer walking is huge, right? And so here's what I would say. People ask all the time, you know, we've mentioned a few of them on the podcast here, maybe not as succinctly, but throughout the whole talk. Um, this is what I say. If, if people are asking, you know, how do I really get started in this? How can we start actually practicing and getting involved? I'd say there's a few major differences that I see in what our guys, for example, are doing in South Asia versus what we do in the West. And I'd say there's really three big ones, right? Number one is, I already mentioned, it's, the, it's their prayer and fasting. And so if you want to start getting going on this and beginning to get your heart to change to, towards more, being inclined towards Jesus's heart and what he longs to do, I would say, man, start make a list of five people that you don't know or that you do know who don't know Jesus and pray for them every single day that God would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Pray for open doors, invite them out for coffee, take them to lunch, whatever it takes, invite them over to your house, but start praying by name for people. We've got to intentionally be praying for lost people. That's got to be a big one. And then if you've never fasted or you don't fast, pick one meal a week to start with. Don't go big. Like, I mean, our best multipliers are, are fasting two or three days a week, every week. Uh, don't start there. You'll, you'll go nuts. All right. But pick a meal, take a lunch on a Friday, or if you're a breakfast eater, take a breakfast on a Wednesday or whatever, and spend that time praying for your city, praying for your neighborhood, praying for lostness, praying for revival. That's going to be huge. The second thing is the seed selling, right? Do you have an intentional time in the week where you and a few buddies could go out and do a prayer walk around a neighborhood and pray that God would lead you to people that are open to him. And I encourage people a lot to do that with a couple other people. Here's what I know, man. Here in South Asia, 
if I want to go to some village and share the gospel and I, I'm going to go by myself on a Saturday morning, I'll come up with about 50 excuses why I shouldn't go. But if a car full of guys come on a Saturday morning to pick me up, to take me to a village with them, I'm going to go because they're with me. And so get a few friends that want to join you in this, in this process and say, hey, every Wednesday night, every Saturday afternoon, every Sunday after church, we're going to go out and do this, whatever it is. But pick an hour or two hours and just say every week, we're going to be intentional about doing this. And then the third thing I would say that's going to be big as you get going on this is honestly get the training and the coaching you need. Um, there are amazing people out there that can coach and train you on what does this practically look like day in and day out. It's one thing to be at a church on a Sunday morning. It's another thing to know what do I do on Monday morning when I'm at the office, when I'm at school, when I'm here, when I'm there. How do I actually be an intentional disciple who makes disciples, right? And, and what does that practically look like? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so, so if you want to, E3 Partners is the organization that I'm currently with, e3partners.org. We've got a, a ton of free training on our website. We've got training and coaching that you can, that you can be a part of as well. It's all free. I also do quite a bit of coaching and training as well. And so if you guys want to reach out to me, it's josh.howard at e3partners.org, josh.howard at e3partners.org. I'd, I'd be more than happy to help anyone out there that wants to get going in this. I'll either personally be able to help or I can connect you with someone who can on our team, but we'd absolutely love to help coach and train anybody who just wants to give this a go because, man, the harvest is ready. We just need more workers. Into that. And you have a book also. Yeah, we wrote a book a few years ago. Me and my father-in-law, Dr. Ajay Lal, wrote a book called Christian Extremism, which is a funny name, but it's really all about normal Christianity seems extreme to us now, but the normal biblical Christianity, what does it actually look like to be a disciple and live like that? And so that's what that's all about. Um, and then we've got another ebook called Igniting Movements in Dark Places mm. that gives some principles around you know getting multiplication off the ground. I know that's really helpful. And you're going to be at the forum this coming year in 20, this year in 2024. Yes, I will be at the forum in, which is, I believe the first and second of May. Is that right? In yep. Indianapolis? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. So if anybody out there, man, come look me up. I'd love to hang out and get to see you guys. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your journey and what God's done with you and South Asia and give it, it's so practical. Also tying all that into practices and then pointing people to resources. Uh, people know the steps. You've laid out the steps. And one of the things that has been on, on my heart and mind over the last month or so is just the importance of making decisions, sometimes quicker decisions than slower decisions. Uh, I'm pretty analytical. So sometimes my decision, I get bogged down in my decision making and I don't move forward quickly enough. And then I'm not making progress or seeing the fruit because I'm just too slow in making decisions. So I really encourage people watching or listening to this, make a decision. You just have to go ahead and make a decision. Say, okay, God said this, I'm making a decision. He said to do it. Let's just go ahead and decide to do it. And then we're going to figure out what it looks like. Some of the things you've said, whatever it needs to be, but make a decision. Don't analyze it to death. So yeah, That's so good, man. So good. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on today, brother. If you are interested in learning more about E3 Partners, please click the link in the show notes. If you want to hear more from Josh Howard and E3 Partners, 
Come to the National Disciple Making Forum up in Indianapolis on May 1st and 2nd of this year. Josh and E3 will be hosting a track session breakout group there. So go to discipleship.org and buy those tickets now. I look forward to seeing you up in Indianapolis. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to know what's coming up next, we've got our point leader, Bobby Harrington, talking about shifting your church to disciple making. I just saw a stat yesterday that said only 5% of churches have a disciple making culture. So I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you probably don't have that culture at your church right now. Hit the subscribe button so that you know when I release the next episode to figure out how can you start to make that shift in your own church. All right, y'all, enjoy the rest of your day, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.